Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. We're expecting President Biden at any moment. The president is about to give an update on his attempt to convince Russia to stand down and not invade Ukraine. This, as the State Department says, Russia is already carrying out false flag operations, and a source calls the outlook bleak. The the news a lot of parents don't want to hear. New clues about why vaccines for kids under five have been delayed, and what scientists need to know to move forward. And emotions running high as a judge sentences former police officer Kim Potter to two years for shooting and killing Dante Wright. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Pamela Brown in for Jake Tapper. And any moment, President Biden is set to address the world from the White House about the possible Russian invasion of Ukraine. A senior U.S. official telling CNN today the latest intelligence assessment is, quote, bleak and shows Russia is moving forward with its preparations for an invasion. The United States now estimates 160 to 190,000 Russian personnel are in and around Ukraine, nearly double the number from three weeks ago. This includes troops on the border and Russian-led forces in eastern Ukraine, causing heightened concerns and explosion in the eastern Ukrainian city of Donetsk, which the U.S. State Department is calling a false flag operation, an attack set up by Russia to try and justify an incursion into Ukraine. Let's get straight to CNN's Caitlin Collins at the White House. Caitlin, President Biden just wrapped up his call with European leaders. What are we expecting to hear from him in his speech? Yeah, for the last several days, he's been having these one-on-one calls with world leaders, of course, ever since he spoke with Putin himself on Saturday for about an hour. And today they got all of these world leaders together to be on one conversation, given we've seen all the developments that have happened in the last 48 hours. A lot of them pretty similar to what we had seen from Secretary Blinken saying that this is what it would look like in the lead up to a potential Russian invasion of Ukraine. And now President Biden is preparing to speak publicly on the latest on what's going on. Don't expect any major announcements, but we were told it will be more of an update like what we saw earlier this week, though that was a pretty significant update when President Biden came out and upped those troop numbers of what they believe Russia has amassed on Ukraine's borders, kind of encircling Ukraine when he increased that number from what we had known it to be about 130,000 to 150,000. And so he'll come out, he'll speak. Of course, there are questions of whether or not he'll update us on any of the intelligence that he's been seeing about the root, the moves that Russia is making, given he has said he does believe, Pamela, that Russia could invade any day now, though it's been difficult for officials to pinpoint exactly what day. Now, of course, the schedule looking ahead to what President Biden has going on next week, we should note he's going to stay here in Washington for the President's Day weekend. But the White House has just announced he will hold a virtual G7 meeting next Thursday. Of course, whether or not an invasion happens before then remains to be seen. If that meeting still goes forward, if one does happen, also remains to be seen. One other update we did just get from the briefing where these two National Security Council officials were there, where they attributed that hack that happened in Ukraine. Of course, that was that cyber attack that they said was one of the largest in their nation's history. And now the White House feels comfortable to go on the record saying they do believe Russia is responsible. We have assessed um, that Russia was responsible for the distributed denial of service attacks that occurred earlier this week. And I will note that the speed with which we made that attribution, as you note, is very unusual. And we've done so because of a need to call out the behavior quickly as part of holding nations accountable when they conduct disruptive or destabilizing cyber activity. Now, those are exactly the kind of activities that you heard from Secretary Blinken say that they believed Russia would do before an invasion or in tandem 
with an invasion or an attack. And so, of course, they are moving with speed to attribute that to Russia, they said, faster than they typically would for something like this. Yeah, it certainly caught my eye how, how quickly they did that. All right, Caitlin Collins, thank you. We're covering the story across the globe. I want to bring in CNN's Clarissa Ward, live from Cave, Ukraine, and Jill Doherty, live from Moscow. Uh, Clarissa, let's start with you. There are indications we have false flag operations. The White House now confirming Russia is behind the cyber attacks already underway in Ukraine. How critical is this moment for Biden? Well, it certainly feels like a critical moment uh, for people here in Ukraine, Pamela. Uh, There's no question we're seeing a steady uptick in activity of all different varieties, both in terms of the shelling going back and forth on those frontline positions that had largely been frozen and mostly quiet for some years now. And we're also seeing uh, what Ukrainian officials in tandem with U.S. officials are calling false flag operations or stage provocations is the expression that's being used here. To give you an example, the city of Donetsk, that is in the far east of Ukraine. It's in that pro-Russian separatist-held areas, those breakaway republics. Today, we heard sirens uh, blaring. We saw the separatist leader uh, of one of those uh, breakaway republics, Denis Pushilin, come forward and urge civilians to leave, saying that there was an imminent uh, Ukrainian military major offensive. What was interesting, though, was that when CNN actually went closer and looked at the metadata of this video message that this leader, this pro-Russian separatist leader, delivered, we found that, in fact, this message was recorded two days ago, not today. Very shortly after that, we're also seeing images of a a, a jeep ablaze in the same city, in Donetsk. Separatist leaders also saying that this was some kind of... uh, Well, an attack, an explosion, a car bomb. Uh, The car belonged to the head of security for Donbass. Again, Ukrainian officials firing back saying this is a staged provocation. But what you have here or what people fear you may have is the makings of some kind of a pretext for President Putin to launch uh, an incursion of sorts. We are also seeing now video uh, of buses taking people, civilians, from these areas into Russia, allegedly for safety at the urging of their leadership, although it's not clear at this stage that there's any actual reason uh, for any of this to take place, other than the fact that what you may be looking at is a scenario where they are manufacturing some kind of a refugee crisis, again, in order to allow the Russians to have that pretext that we have heard U.S. officials warning about for quite some time now to launch some kind of an incursion, because it's important for our viewers to understand, Pamela, that the people living in those areas, 600,000 of them now have Russian passports. And we have seen President Putin do this time and again, not just in this conflict, also in Georgia in 2008, handing out passports and then using these kind of false flag operations as an excuse to go in and protect Russian passport holders or Russian nationals. So definitely, I would say, Pamela, some concerning developments on the ground today. And as I said in the beginning, the shelling also continues at a much more intense pace on those front lines than we have been used to in the past years. Which is very notable, and it shows an escalation um, that's happening right now, Jill. Earlier this week, President Biden had said there is, quote, plenty of room for diplomacy. Still, is there anything he can say today that he hasn't already said to persuade Vladimir Putin to de-escalate? I don't think really at this point you can. I mean, all the cards are on the table. And what we're seeing right now, in fact, it was interesting what Clarissa was talking about. Here in Moscow, there's, there's really a palpable sense that something is changing. We've had a lot of images on Russian TV all day of the people who are being evacuated. We don't know how many. Uh, loaded onto buses, very touching pictures of women, older women, children being taken from those Russian-speaking areas in eastern Ukraine, breakaway regions, over to Russia. Uh, President Putin today appearing with President Lukashenko uh, of Belarus. Remember, Belarus, of course, is where all of these military exercises have been taking place. And President Putin essentially just kind of laying it out there, saying, look, Kiev right now, 
can solve this. What they have to do is sit down at the table with the leaders of these breakaway republics and solve the economic, political, etc. issues so that there can be some type of resolution. And then I have to note that one of the, um, I, I would say, strongest images that we're about to see, which will come probably Saturday, tomorrow, is uh, President Putin is going to be holding these, or the military will be holding strategic military exercises that will include ballistic missiles, cruise missiles, and President Putin uh, presiding over it. And of course, that is a reminder that Russia is a nuclear power. So we've got a lot of images, and this is really, as I said, information war at a very high pace at this point. Well, Caitlin, President Biden has tried to move past his chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan and the stain it left on America's global reputation. How is the White House trying to use the standoff to fix that? I think a lot of it also has to do with the officials who are working in this Biden administration right now. Many of them also worked here in 2014, the last time they saw Russia take a similar effort to what they believe they are plotting to do right now. And so I think that they have really said and been pretty clear that they are trying to handle it differently. And that's one of the reasons you've seen them be so forthcoming with intelligence. And that is something that basically Secretary Blinken yesterday laying out what they thought could happen. It was like reading an intelligence report of what they believe specifically you could see Russia do over the next several days in the lead up to an invasion and once an attack actually began. And so this comes, of course, you know, they've had these concerns of what he could do, the misinformation, the chaos that they could try to sow. One of these concerns that they have now, we are told, is President Zelensky, of course, the Ukrainian leader, going to Munich on Saturday as he's scheduled to go for that security conference. That's the same conference that Secretary Blinken is at right now, that Vice President Harris is also attending in Germany. And they have had some concerns. They haven't explicitly asked him not to go based on my colleagues reporting, but they have some concerns about him leaving the country, making a flight that's about two, two and a half hours and being out of the country at such an intense time because maybe Vladimir Putin will try to put this idea out there that he's fled the country. Maybe air travel could get disrupted if an attack does go forth. And so I think those are concerns that they They've had internally. They're not making those clear publicly. And instead, publicly, Pamela, they're saying that if he wants to go, if he thinks it's wise to go, then he has the support of the United States behind him. But it does speak to just how unstable the times are and the concerns really over what's happened in the last 48 hours or so. And where do things stand on that, Caitlin, in terms of his going? I think the last thing I read was that he the plans could change depending on the situation, right? If, if, if can things continue to escalate? Yeah, I think obviously if we do start to see real signs of an invasion that he probably likely wouldn't leave the country, that's just a, a guesstimate uh, of what would be the situation underhand. We've seen really all of these meetings that have been scheduled over the next several days. Everyone keeps saying that depends if there's an invasion or not. And so far, we have not heard of any plans of Zelensky to cancel his meetings. We know one of those meetings is with Vice President Harris. So obviously, that's something they place high importance on. And so we haven't heard of him planning to cancel it right now. Of course, that's supposed to happen in about 24 hours from now. So everyone will be watching that closely. And of course, watching closely to see what Russian state media is saying about this, what Putin is trying to put out there about this as well. For sure. That's why we, we love hearing from Jill, who is tracking all of that. And Clarissa, you're tracking things from Ukraine. Multiple sources are telling CNN Biden administration officials have privately urged a Ukrainian president to stay in Ukraine uh, this weekend. As Caitlin just noted, that concern there behind the scenes, they, they do not want him to travel to Munich, where world leaders are gathered for a security conference. Why do you think they want him to stay in Kyiv from your perspective? Well, I think from the Ukrainians' perspective, it's very important uh, to not show that you're panicking, right, to not show that you are uh, succumbing to this sort of fever pitch uh, uh, of rhetoric around this sort of potential imminent invasion. And so it's understandable that President Zelensky, I believe, is, is still planning to continue ahead and go uh, to the security conference to try to show that life continues as normal. He's the leader of a state and, 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 and he, you know, has important meetings lined up and he wants to go and attend those, particularly at a moment of crisis. Some of those meetings 
meetings, as Caitlin pointed out, are potentially very important. From the U.S.'s perspective, of course, uh, they're looking at this in a, in a very different light. They're seeing this intelligence laid out. They're clearly interpreting it in a slightly different way than the Ukrainians have been interpreting what amounts to similar intelligence. And, of course, there's concern that he could be weakened politically if he was shut out of the country somehow, if, you know, if, if there was a, a sort of worst-case scenario where there was some kind of an attack where the airspace was shut off potentially. Because in the backdrop to all of this, Pamela, is not just the destabilization of, uh, that an imminent invasion would bring or an actual invasion would bring, but the political destabilization that is also already happening here on the ground in Ukraine as a result of this crisis. And this is something that President Putin is actively trying to foment, eroding support for Zelensky's government, trying to make them appear weak, impotent. And that's why I think you're seeing such kind of strident tones from Ukraine's leadership in, in ways that we haven't really heard them speaking out against the U.S. before, because they want to take control of the narrative on the ground and show that they are not, uh, you know, that they are unflappable, if you will, and that they are not going to allow themselves to get hysterical or uh, panicked by this whole situation. That's an important image for them to project to ordinary Ukrainians. Marissa, Jill, Caitlin, stick around as we await to hear from President Biden. And he is expected to speak from the White House, addressing the world about the possibility of a Russian invasion of Ukraine. Also coming up, burnt rubber. Thousands of Porsches and other luxury cars are sitting on a burning cargo ship at sea. What happened? And we are back with our world lead. Now I want to go back to Jill Doherty, Clarissa Ward, and Caitlin Collins from the White House as we await to hear from President Biden on this escalating situation between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, Jill, what do you think? I mean, we, we just heard from the White House warning of the extensive sanctions they're considering. They're saying that these would be the most powerful sanctions to date. Why have those warnings not been a deterrent so far for Putin? There has not been a full invasion, but we have seen more troops amassing. We have seen these false flag operations. The U.S. now blames Russia for the cyber attacks on Ukraine this week. You know, Pamela, there, sanctions have been imposed for a very long time. And when you look at Ukraine, it's been happening since Crimea, which would be 2014. And there is a debate, you know, do they actually work? Now, concretely, they have damaged the Russian economy. There's no question. But Putin decided early on that what he was going to have is counter sanctions. And so what he did was he deliberately, you know, said no European products, no European cheese, etc. But he also began building up domestically some of the industries that really weren't very well developed. So he's been able to, I'd say, you know, overcome some of those sanctions by building up domestically, but they have been hurt. But the question is, will that you know, economic um, math work with Putin at this point? Because there are issues that really go to the core of what he thinks about Russia's role, what he thinks about his own role in the world, uh, the place of Ukraine. His whole idea is based on, the, on this concept that he has, which is very emotional too, that at the end of the Cold War, Russia was weak and the West, especially the United States, essentially forced Russia to do what the West wanted. And he would say, you know, we were on our knees at that point, but we're not on our knees today because, he, you know, he's built up uh, financial reserves of uh, over six, I think it's $620 billion. So he has been preparing to withstand a lot of pressure. And I do believe that it goes just beyond that mathematics of, you know, will it hurt, won't it hurt? It's, it's a deeply held feeling that he wants a, a, a sphere of influence around Russia. And that includes countries like Ukraine, like Georgia, that used to be part of the Soviet Union, and he cannot countenance having them either as members of NATO or even tacitly, you know, realistically pro forma members of NATO. 
Yeah, and it's interesting. On that note, Jill, the White House, a White House official said today that the West would emerge from this if this invasion does happen more united and determined to defend shared values and core principles than at any point in the post-Cold War era. So clearly the White House is banking on that to to try to deter Putin because uh, he does not want a, a more united NATO. And Caitlin, I'm just wondering, you know, we're we're about to hear from President Biden. Uh, He's going to be laying the groundwork, of course. Why is this moment so important from him? We know he talked to Vladimir Putin um, last weekend. He has been very um, forceful with what he has said to date. What does the White House hope to accomplish with his speech today? Well, I think it's also notable. This is his second speech that he has given dedicated to this this week. And before he had spoken on Tuesday, it had been some days before he addressed this topic solely. Maybe he had answered a question here or there, but they had really been watching to see what Putin was going to do and the moves he was making. Of course, they've been talking openly about the satellite images that have really provided for everyone to be able to see these troop movements and how they've added to their force posture in and around Ukraine. And I think when you hear from the president today, it'll be more of an update, as he did the other day when he updated those troop numbers, talking about how many that they've seen. And that, of course, is important to point out, given Russia is claiming that they're drawing back troops, that they are drawing down troops. And the White House is saying that's a lie. They're actually adding forces there and they are putting them in positions where they would be ready for an attack to happen. And so I think that it's also countering the narrative there and coming out and saying this is actually what we do know Russia is doing and here is why we know it. And so I think that is expected to be what we hear from President Biden here in a few moments as well. But it is notable he, how much time he is dedicating solely to this publicly. Mm-hmm. And I think one other thing we should note that the White House is doing is setting up meetings coming in the coming days. I mentioned the virtual meeting with the other G7 leaders that President Biden is going to do next Thursday. There's a lot of time between now and then. And he, the president himself has said an invasion could happen any day now, but also Secretary Blinken, the Secretary of State, he is scheduled to now meet with the Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov on Wednesday, according to the White House. And that is something that when he was speaking at the United Nations yesterday, he said he had extended that letter to have them meet. Granted, an invasion had not happened by that point, by Wednesday. Of course, that's several days away. We have no idea what's going to happen between now and then. But it is notable that they are trying to continue to keep the Russians talking uh, over the next several days. It is notable as we see some activity. And, and I want to bring in CNN's Alex Markhard and the key Ukrainian port city of Mariupol for more on that, because there has been an escalation in eastern Ukraine today, Alex, specifically in the Donbass region. And the U.S. thinks this is likely a false flag attack being carried out by Russia, right? Yeah, Pam, we've talked about Russia's hybrid warfare. It's not just what they're doing with their military. It's not just what they're doing in terms of cyber, which, as we just know, the the White House just uh, said that this week's attacks they did attribute to the GRU. But it's also this incredible disinformation campaign uh, that they have uh, that they've been engaged in that really, you know, kicked into a higher gear today. There are these two regions in eastern Ukraine, these breakaway enclaves that call themselves republics that have been out of the reach of Kyiv for the past eight years and really and back by by Russia. And the two leaders there simultaneously this evening uh, said that they were calling on their citizens to evacuate to Russia, to head eastwards uh, into Russia. Uh, they said they wanted their civilian, their populations to do that because they accused Ukraine of mounting an operation uh, along their border, an offensive operation, that they were putting troops and, and weapons all along the border to attack. Um, one of those two leaders asked the, the men to, to pick up arms and fight. Of course, Pam, there is no sense that Ukraine would carry out any sort of offensive operation against them. Um, it is one of these uh, seemingly false flag or, or staged uh, operations that, you know, the likes of which uh, Secretary Blinken and others have repeatedly said uh, Russia could raise as a justification uh, to invade Ukraine. And it does come at the same time that we are seeing an increase in the shelling uh, along this line of contact, as it's known, that front line between Ukrainian fighters and Russia-backed fighters, which is just 15 miles behind me, um, that for the past few years has has seen uh, so much fighting, you know, 14,000 people dead. Um, and so we are, you know, that this is growing. The, the, yesterday, there were some 60 violations of that ceasefire. That's the biggest number uh, in almost four years. We saw the shelling of that kindergarten uh, just a little ways north of here. And so there is a significant fear that Russia is 
ratcheting things up, pro-Russian forces ratcheting things up in a way that President Putin could then say, hey, look, there are these ethnic Russians in eastern Ukraine, these Russian speakers who are under attack. We need to step in and try to help them. Pam? Yeah, that, that would be right out of the Russian playbook for sure. Jill, the U.S. now says Russia has probably amassed up to 190,000 personnel in and near Ukraine. That is a big uptake from just three weeks ago. Plus, President Putin is planning to attend military drills where ballistic and cruise missiles will be launched this weekend. What does all of that tell you? Well, again, um, facts. Uh, the United States is saying um, that there is an enormous number that has increased. President Putin, I think, is doing more the information warfare part of it. Granted, it's part of this exercise. You know, they were going to hold these uh, strategic exercises in the fall. They didn't do that. They moved them up to now. And it's a very convenient time to remind the world that Russia is a nuclear power. And that's certainly a message that goes way beyond Ukraine. I mean, it goes to U.S.-Russia relations and to the world. So I think the Kremlin now is sending a lot of different messages from very specific on-the-ground people uh, on buses being evacuated. And then to the bigger picture of their role in the world as a superpower. There are a lot of things, you know, that when in conflict situations like this, it is multi-layered. So you have the military part, you have the diplomatic part, you have the information war part, and many other uh, things. And all of them, I think now, are coalescing at this moment that does feel different. I have to say, Mm -hmm. here in Moscow today, it does feel more nervous. It's a little more... Uh, unsettled, and watching TV, Russian state TV, with all of those pictures of people being evacuated, you know, it, it has a different atmosphere to it than it did just a day or two ago. That is such important context. Even here in Washington, you can feel that too. I'm sure Kaylin can agree. You know, we've been hearing from administration officials for quite some time that um, Russia could invade any moment. But certainly, given what you laid out there and these um, the incremental escalations, it def- does feel different for sure. We are still standing by, as you see the podium there, for a speech from President Biden as he tries to convince Russia against an invasion into Ukraine. Any moment we expect to hear from President Biden at the White House addressing the world about the Russia-Ukraine crisis. You see these live pictures there of the podium at the White House. And I want to bring back our team of reporters, Caitlin Collins at the White House, Jill Darty in Moscow, and Alex Markhart in eastern Ukraine. Caitlin, let's go to you first, just to talk about the impact an invasion can have on America. U.S. stocks fell again today. Investors clearly uneasy as we loom at the edge of war. How much is the White House concerned about the impact a possible invasion could have on Americans. Well, they are concerned about it. And that's one thing that President Biden has tried to make clear this week is how this does affect Americans. Because I think the White House understands maybe some people look at this and ask, okay, well, I see where Ukraine is. I see where Russia is. What does this have to do with me and my household? And and in his speech on Tuesday, and something that President Biden could repeat here in a few moments, was talking about the impact that a Russian invasion could have on the energy market and on energy prices. And of course, that would translate potentially to higher gas prices when people are already paying more at the pump. And so they've tried to take steps over the last several months as they've been cognizant of the fact that Russia could certainly invade and certainly was preparing to have the capability to invade of making sure that they can shore up those capabilities in case this is something that happens and in case it does become an acute concern for this White House, given it's already something they've been worried about uh, with inflation, with higher gas prices. And now if this happened, that's another thing they have to worry about. One other thing that we talked about today when the National Security Council officials came out and attributed that cyber attack in in Ukraine to the Russian government was talking about maybe if there are threats here in the United States. And Ann Neuberger said there are no credible threats right now to the homeland, but she was encouraging a lot of those private companies, water companies, utility companies, to make sure that they are being hyper-vigilant about something like that because it's not out of the realm of possibility as we've seen before. And so I think that's something notable as well, but they are certainly trying to make clear that this isn't just something that could potentially impact Ukraine. It would have wide-reaching effects, obviously, on Eastern Europe, obviously on all of Europe, but also here in the United States as well. Yeah, it could impact every single American. Um, Alex, today the chief of Ukraine's armed forces said the Ukrainian military has no plans 
to launch an offensive in the breakaway eastern regions of Ukraine. Why are those reassurances so important right now? For the same reason, Pam, that we've seen the U.S. being so forward in what they are learning and telling us all what to expect so that when it actually does arise, that it can be shot down very quickly. In that respect, the U.S. and Ukraine are very much on the same page. They are expecting to see things like false flag operations and these pretexts that uh, Russia could gin up in order to come up with an excuse to uh, invade Ukraine. So they are in lockstep there to, to try to shoot down any of these things, which because the, the conventional wisdom is that a, a Russian invasion would be preceded by one of these uh, excuses like, uh, like uh, aggression, they would say, uh, against uh, Russian speakers in eastern Ukraine. I think, Pamela, it's, it's also really interesting to see where the daylight is between the United States uh, and Ukraine. They have seen similar intelligence. Take, for example, the 150,000 Russian troops uh, that are around Ukraine that Biden mentioned the last time he spoke. Uh, the Ukrainians believe that to be a similar number. But while the U.S. says that a, an invasion could go straight to Kiev, uh, that they could do significant damage and, and conduct a large-scale invasion, uh, the Ukrainians reject that. They say that that is not a big enough number uh, to carry out a large-scale invasion, to take and to hold Kiev. The Ukrainians since day one have been trying to keep their population calm to stop panic from spreading, to prevent chaos uh, from spreading. And they have been rather successful. When you travel across this country, as we have for the past two weeks, uh, the first thing that really strikes you is this remarkable calm and, and lack of panic. We haven't seen any outward signs of panic in the streets. We don't see people driving out of town to go somewhere else. We don't people see people going to shops to, to stock up their cupboards. Um, we don't see people fleeing. It, it is absolutely remarkable. At the same time, of course, there is major concern, uh, especially in a place like Mariupol, which is so close to the fighting, where there actually has been shelling and people killed in the last few years. There, it, there is real concern. But at the same time, what you hear over and over again is that we, we have lived with this. We have lived next to Russia for so long. We have lived with uh, these Russian-backed forces fighting against our troops uh, since 2014 when they invaded Ukraine, uh, when they invaded Crimea and annexed Crimea. And what we hear over and over again from the civilians all the way on up to President Zelensky just the other day, I went to a speech of his, he says, this is not the Ukraine of 2014. This is Ukraine of 2022. Our military has been built up. It is much stronger. Uh, it is much more streamlined. We have the backing of uh, of the United States, of NATO. They've got those weapons um, and, and they've got the training. So they they claim that they are ready to fight. They are ready to confront uh, a Russian threat, that if Russia decides to come in, it's not going to be like Crimea was last time. I was there eight years ago. The Russians took Crimea without firing a single shot. It would not be like this this time between the Russia, the Ukrainian military, the reservists, the territorial defenses, as they call them, people, you know, people in the street who would just pick up arms, you would see a much heavier dose of fighting, a much higher level of fighting. It would be a lot bloodier. And that's why you're hearing from, uh, you know, people like General Milley at the Pentagon saying that this would be incredibly bloody, uh, very horrific. And you would see tens of thousands of, of, of people dying and likely hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of Ukrainians fleeing, trying to get out of the country. And yet, even in that scenario, as you point out, Alex, there is still a sense of calm amongst the civilians there um, in eastern Ukraine. Jill, I want to go back to you on sort of the information wars playing out, because you're in Moscow, you're taking in everything that's being put out there in Russia. Uh, we know earlier today from the White House, a top White House official attributed the latest cyber attacks in Ukraine to Russia, wondering if there's been any response from Russia to that, and what else is going on in terms of messaging right now? You know, not specifically that I've seen, but of course, um, they will deny it. But I, I, you know, I think one of the, if you look at overall messaging from Russia, overall messaging is that Russia doesn't want war. It has no intention of attacking Ukraine. But there is kind of a caveat. But if there is a reason, if we, or more specifically, our compatriots who live in that eastern part of Ukraine, the Russian speakers in the Donbass region. President Putin years ago 
made the case for protecting Russian speakers wherever they may be. And so he's laid the case, he's laid, actually, he would say a legal case to protect those people. So I think what they would set up now is that if they are attacked, we have a sacred duty to protect them. And that would mean that they could go in and protect. That's kind of, I think, what's going on. But one of the complications here is that, uh, you know, in all of these uh, diplomatic discussions with the United States, NATO, OSCE, the Russians have been really maximalist. You know, they are asking for a redo, really revamping the end of the Cold War and the disposition of forces, everything uh, that came after the end of the Cold War. And, And they... NATO is saying, you're not going to get it. So how do you climb down from that? And I think that's the issue right now. Can the United States, can uh, NATO, really the United States, find any way to have a discussion, maybe even, as some former diplomats have been mentioning to me, maybe even something off the grid, something private, something not public, be Uh, some type of discussion with Russia that might be able to come up with something face-saving that would give President Putin the reason to say, we won something, we got something from the West, but we don't know that. And so far, it doesn't appear that that is happening. So that I think that is a dilemma that they've asked for a lot. And they're saying, unless we have the entire package deal, they actually use the word package, package deal we're not going to have a, an agreement. Yeah, no one thinks they're just going to capitulate without getting something for it. Um, Caitlin, we just learned that, that Biden's national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, isn't with the president. He is in Brussels. So that means nearly all of Biden's top national security officials are in Europe right now. Why, why is this so key? Yeah, almost every single one. Now, of course, Jake Sullivan, we have now learned, is in Brussels. We're still waiting to hear from the National Security Council exactly what meetings he's had while he's there, how long he's expected to be on the ground while he's there, of course, engaging in these meetings, which comes at a very important time, given the developments that have happened over the last 48 hours. But you're right. It does mean almost every single one of the president's top national security advisors is in Europe because there is this Munich security conference underway right now. That's what the vice president Harris is going to speak at tomorrow. She's expected to deliver a speech, also meet with the Ukrainian president while there. The defense secretary Lloyd Austin is there. The secretary of state Blinken is there. Several of these top officials are all there, all at an important time. A lot of these pre-scheduled visits that they were expected to go to, but they matter all the more now, given the heightened tensions that you're seeing with this ongoing crisis, with those numbers that Alex was just laying out. And so it remains to be seen what exactly Jake Sullivan, what his conversations looked like while he was there, who he was speaking with. But it does play an important backdrop in this conversation and in this speech that President Biden is preparing to give and what he's expected to say of what is happening in these back and forth conversations that he's having with world leaders and that his top aides are having with their foreign counterparts as well. All right. And we're still waiting to hear that speech from President Biden. We see the podium there. He was supposed to make remarks at 4 p.m. Eastern time. It is now 4.43 p.m. Eastern. Uh, He is expected to address the world about the possibility of a Russian invasion of Ukraine. We'll be right back. We are back with our breaking news. President Biden is expected to speak any moment as he tries to convince Russia not to invade Ukraine. I want to bring back our team of reporters, Caitlin Collins at the White House, Jill Darty in Moscow, and Alex Markhart in eastern Ukraine. Caitlin, let's start with you. The White House has been saying for a while now that an invasion could happen any day. What is its calculation in continuing to use this language? I mean, does the Biden administration risk losing the trust of the American people if an invasion doesn't happen. Uh, they're hoping one doesn't happen. And I think what you heard from Secretary Blinken, you know, struggling with this question or dealing with this question yesterday when he was making those abruptly scheduled remarks is he said that he hoped that they were wrong, that the intelligence didn't, uh, that, of course, the intelligence they've seen of the posture, of the positions, of the amassing of these troops on Ukraine's border, he was hoping that an invasion doesn't ultimately happen. And I think that's the strategy that they've tried to take here is that by oversharing the intelligence, by making clear what they think the moves that Putin is going 
going to take that it could deter him from actually taking those moves by floating ideas of certain dates that he's looking at, of certain tactics that he's taking, you know, going into detail yesterday of what that manufactured reason for invading could be, saying that it could be a fake chemical weapons attack, a real chemical weapons attack, a fake drone strike. All of these matters that they say that they have clearly picked up on are things that the Russians are considering and that President Putin himself is considering. And he said here that he does hope that they are wrong here, that this invasion doesn't actually happen. But I think when you hear from officials behind the scenes is that they think that they're right, that they are looking at this intelligence and that they do believe this is what Putin is preparing to do. And you heard Secretary Austin say yesterday, he said, you know, I have been, Defense Secretary Austin, he was like, I've been a soldier before. And he was like, you don't make these steps. You don't take these steps and get all of these forces ready. 150,000 in the border area, though we know it's a much larger number when you're counting all of the Russian personnel, if you're not prepared to take a step like this one. And you've also heard officials talk about how emotional Putin feels about this decision, how much it means to him based on his worldview, something that you've heard people like Fiona Hill, who was the Russia expert that worked for former President Trump, talk about. And so I think that they are making a calculus here by saying that an invasion is expected to happen any day now. Um, Of course, whether or not it does remains to be seen, but they seem pretty confident that Putin has taken the steps to, to, to do that. And meantime, Alex, President Zelensky is still scheduled to go to Munich for a global security conference tomorrow. Sources are telling CNN that people inside the Biden administration have urged Zelensky to stay in Ukraine, as we've been hearing uh, Caitlin report on. What do you think Zelensky's calculations are for making this decision? Well, uh, what we've seen for quite some time now, Pamela, is, again, this daylight between the two sides. You've heard this urgency from uh, from the United States. Uh, they have been accused of alarmism by Ukraine. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, Ukraine's foreign minister said that you're hearing these apocalyptic predictions from certain capitals. That was clearly a reference to Washington, uh, which, along with its allies in NATO, has really been banging this drum for quite some time that, you know, a, a, a significant Russian invasion could happen very soon. Exactly a week ago, Pamela, we were right here listening to Jake Sullivan stand at the podium of the White House saying that there's a very good chance, a significant chance, he said, that Russia could invade Ukraine by this coming Sunday, the end of the Olympics. Um, We heard President Zelensky, meanwhile, during the course of the week, essentially mocking any sort of timeline. He didn't call out the U.S. directly. But he did say, following those Sullivan comments, you know, if you've got information that says with 100 percent that Russia is going to invade on a certain day, please give it to me. He said, we've got other information. We need to analyze this information. And then you'll recall this week he announced a day of unity uh, because he said, well, we've been told we have this information that Russia was supposed to invade on February 16th. How about we have this this day of unity instead? So you have seen this disparity between uh, this, this, this alarm where Ukrainian leaders have not been uh, as convinced that A, Russia was going to invade and B, that they were going to do it uh, as imminently. So that is probably playing into the calculation uh, of why he is now going to Munich. Of course, as, as Caitlin has noted, he, he does have this important meeting with Vice President Harris tomorrow. He is still extremely reliant on the United States. And he's been walking this very careful line of kind of downplaying the urgency of this invasion, but at the same time agreeing with the United States uh, that it is possible the extent to which, you know, he keeps asking the United States for more and more weapons. We know that Mm-hmm. On his phone call with uh, President Biden, he asked for more military aid, more financial aid. Remember, he asked President Biden to actually come to Ukraine uh, and visit. So clearly he does feel uh, that there is enough of a chance that Russia could invade, uh, that he's going to keep asking for those things. Uh, but you just have not felt the sense of alarm uh, from Ukrainian leadership that you have heard from U.S. leadership. Time and time again, they have said they've cast doubt on whether Russia would actually do it. Um, and and even so, they say, we are ready to fight. Pamela. But now we're in the situation where we are seeing some movement. We've, we've seen some escalation with Russia increasing its troops, moving those forces closer to the border with Ukraine. Jill, what do you think it would take for Putin to decide against an invasion? Well, that is, <laughs> that's the question. Um, I think, you know, the, the only, he has to get something out of this. And what he wants is a maximalist position, as we've said. He wants, uh, you know, to, to have this zone of influence, special in, influence 
along the border of Russia. Now, that you might be able, and I've been talking with some diplomat, former diplomats and diplomats, you might be able to come to some type of agreement which says, okay, we are going to have uh, security talks about European security, big subject, and that we, uh, we will listen to what you're talking about, and we may do some nuclear discussions, etc. But they've tried that by taking parts of what the Russians demanded in the beginning, um, you know, with this back and forth of diplomatic letters. They wanted um, the entire package. The United States and NATO said, we'll talk about uh, disposition of forces in Europe along the border. We'll talk about other issues. And the Russians so far have said, that's not enough. You're just breaking it apart to your advantage. We want the entire package that we're talking about. So in the end, um, it would, if you remember, um, you probably don't, but I do, the, the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis. And in the Cuban Missile Crisis, they were able, behind the scenes, to solve certain issues. U.S. took missiles out of Turkey. It wasn't publicized at the time, but it helped to bring it to the end. Then a year later, there was the first nuclear arms control agreement. And, you know, Khrushchev could say, well, I, I won something. I did something for humanity. So there are ways of doing this, but we don't know whether that will work with President Putin. And, you know, on that note, Caitlin, does the White House actually think, oh, here's President Biden walking out? Let's listen in. Good afternoon. Today, I made two vital calls, as I've been making for some months now. Two vital calls that uh, on the situation in Russia and Ukraine. The first was to a bipartisan group of members of Congress who are currently representing the United States, along with Vice President Harris at the Munich uh, Security Conference. The second was the latest in a series of calls over the past many months with the heads of state of our NATO allies and our, the European Union to bring them up to date on what the United States thinks is the current state of affairs and what's likely to happen in Ukraine in the coming days to ensure that we continue to remain in lockstep, that is, the European Union and NATO. Despite Russia's efforts to divide us at home and abroad, I can affirm that has not happened. The overwhelming message of both, on both calls was one of unity, determination, and resolve. I shared with all of those on the calls what we know about a rapidly escalating crisis in Ukraine. Over the last few days, we've seen reports of a major uptick in violations of the ceasefire by Russian-backed fighters attempting to provoke Ukraine in the Donbas. For example, a shelling of a Ukrainian kindergarten yesterday, which Russia has falsely asserted was carried out by Ukraine. We also continue to see more and more disinformation being pushed out by, to the Russian public including Russian-backed separatists, claiming that Ukraine is planning to launch a massive offensive attack in the Donbass. Well, look, there is simply no evidence of these assertions, and it defies, defies basic logic to believe the Ukrainians would choose this moment, with well over 150,000 troops arrayed on its borders, to escalate a year-long conflict. Russia's state media also continues to make phony allegations of a genocide taking place in the Donbas, and push fabricated claims warning about Ukraine's attack on Russia without any evidence. That's just what I'm sure Ukraine's thinking of doing, attacking Russia. All of these are consistent with the playbook the Russians have used before, to set up a false justification to act against Ukraine. This is also in line with the pretext scenarios that the United States and our allies and partners have been warning about for weeks. Throughout these tense moments, the Ukrainian forces have shown great judgment and, I might add, restraint. They refuse to allow the Russians to bait them into war. But the fact remains, Russian troops currently have Ukraine surrounded from Belarus along the Russian border and with Ukraine to the Black Sea in the south and all of its border. You know, look, we have reason to believe the Russian forces are planning to uh, and intend to attack Ukraine 
in the coming week, in the coming days. We believe that they will target Ukraine's capital, Kyiv, a city of 2.8 million innocent people. We're calling out Russia's plans loudly and repeatedly, not because we want a conflict, but because we're doing everything in our power to remove any reason that Russia may give to justify invading Ukraine and prevent them from moving. Make no mistake, if Russia pursues its plans, it will be responsible for a catastrophic and needless war of choice. The United States and our allies are prepared to defend every inch of NATO territory from any threat to our collective security as well. We also will not send troops in to fight in Ukraine, but we will continue to support the Ukrainian people. This past year, the United States provided a record amount of security assistance to Ukraine to bolster its defensive, $650 million from Javelin missiles to ammunition. We also previously provided $500 million in Ukraine and humanitarian aid and economic support for Ukraine. And earlier this week, we also announced an additional sovereign loan guarantee of up to $1 billion to strengthen Ukraine's economic resilience. But the bottom line is this. The United States and our allies and partners will support the Ukrainian people. We will hold Russia accountable for its actions. The West is united and resolved. We're ready to impose severe sanctions on Russia if it further invades Ukraine. But I say again, Russia can still choose diplomacy. It is not too late to de-escalate and return to the negotiating table. Last night, Russia agreed that Secretary of State Blinken and Foreign Minister Lavrov should meet on, Fe on February 24th, February 24th in Europe. But if Russia takes military action before that date, we'll be clear that they have slammed the door shut on diplomacy. They will, have they will have chosen a war, and they will pay a steep price for doing so, not only from the sanctions that we and our allies will impose on Russia, but the more outrage the rest of the world will visit upon them. You know, there are many issues that divide our nation and our world, but standing up to Russian aggression is not one of them. The American people are united. Europe is united. The transatlantic community is united. Our political parties in this country are united. The entire free world is united. Russia has a choice between war and all the suffering it will bring or diplomacy that will make a future safer for everyone. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 